Hiro Nobusakaguchi, I want to say was 2020 or maybe 2019, sometime fairly recently, was doing a live stream. He got to this point and he couldn't figure out how to do the blitz. And he actually got a game over. <laughs> Great. He couldn't figure it out. <laughs> His own game. <laughs> and everybody. What's up? Welcome back to the State of the Arc podcast. My name is Mike. My name is Kason. This is our Final Fantasy VI analysis series. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. We're we excited. were supposed to get to the Returner's Hideout last time. We didn't get even close to Not that point. Not even close. <laughs> I think we will get there and, and beyond. I believe we will today, yeah. So the goal here... Is it to play up to the Phantom Train? We'll, Phantom we'll Train. See. We'll see if that happens. That's, I mean, that's as far as I play. It's as far as you play. That's far. We'll as see I if play. we talk all the way through that section. But if not, we'll update you at the end. Yes, about where hopefully to play up to next time. But yeah. um, I think we will. Uh, that we left for the episode previous. Huh? We left off at Figaro Castle. Well, I think we had yeah. just gone through the we flashback in. with Sabin, where you name Sabin and and and. Um, Edgar was yeah. talking about their dad being yeah, sick and all that. So we had we hadn't. I think we just had just gotten up to the part where Kefka is supposed to come in now. Um. So yeah. we yeah. we would have had an introduction, not really introduction, but like a, a short flashback with Kefka before this, where yeah, brief with Tara, you know, where she fell and she sort of remembered him putting the slave mm -hmm. crown on and you know laughing maniacally as she was destroying all those Magitek dudes. Um, you know, the event that everyone's referencing, oh, the 50, 50 soldiers, soldiers in once, three yeah. minutes thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was the one who sort of spurred that event. And so we saw that. But this is sort of a more proper kind of first introduction to the character here. I'm trying to think about, <laughs> I'm trying to be careful again <laughs> about what to say because I don't want to like spoil anything or, or even like yeah. lead into too much about what would be spoilers for later on. Um, but I really like the way that they, I'll, I'll leave it at this. I really like the way that they present this character in the, in the sections that we're playing here. Yeah. yeah in particular, so. when you get to Doma, right. Oh, and, yeah, um, he, uh, you know, poisons the water and of course we'll get all to this in a minute, but then you actually fight him in, during that section. Yeah. And it's almost like kind of a one hit. And he just runs away. And he runs and away. away. And he runs like, away. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. He's, he's not like particularly strong. Yeah. And um, in the SNES version of the script, which is the version we're playing, though I'm referencing the GBA version of the script for what we pull for dialogue here, yeah. they, they refer to him as a court mage only in the advanced script. So that's the only part oh, okay. where I pulled, okay, he, he must know some magic then with whatever experiments they're doing there. Uh, in, in the empire, what little we know about that, uh, so far. Right. Um, but he's not like a particularly strong enemy in battle. He's actually pretty weak. Um, and I, I think that the, the, the way that they introduce him here, right. Uh, and, and sort of the way that this plays out kind of throughout the early sections. Um, again, I, I don't want to say anything too much, but I, I think it leads really well into what's coming later. Okay, nice. Um, I think that they do a really good job of presenting you with a character that uh, 
It, it's kind of like Gilgamesh a little bit in Final oh. Fantasy V. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh. No, not the, not the real Gilgamesh. <laughs> I was like, no, he, he's got this progression too, you know? That would be more like um, Enkidu, but you know. Yeah, so for anyone who played Final Fantasy V, Gilgamesh was kind of a, like a, almost like a joke boss whenever you fought him. He, he, he was a oh, recurring boss fight yes. that you would fight. And yes. like he was, he, he was just kind of funny. Yeah. And like you, you yeah. didn't take him very seriously, um, because he just like beat him up every time you fight him. Um, so he, he, it's almost like they're introducing us to Kefka in a similar way. It's almost like he's being used for a similar, uh, in a similar archetype or trope in this game too. Okay. Where like Gestal, who we haven't even met yet, is sort of like you know, the real villain of the game, but we're, we're kind of being introduced to the empire through Kefka, who is almost like this sidekick sort of character. Yeah. And, uh, and he's not a very serious person. No, he's crazy. <laughs> you know, one of the most interesting ways that they introduce him right at this uh, part at Figaro castle is that he doesn't like emperor Gestal. No. And he's very open about it. Mm -hmm. And he's not happy that he has to go do what emperor Gestal wants. And yeah. it's like, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. And as we keep playing the game, you see the soldiers don't like him. No, like there's all. some crazy <laughs> political stuff happening here where yeah. it's like Gestal doesn't like Kefka, but Kefka is in charge of the soldiers, but the soldiers don't like Kefka either. But uh, the Emperor Gestal trusts Kefka. But anyways, it's this really weird kind of like web. And and it, it, you can tell that there's some uh, possibly some divisive stuff happening at the Gestalian mm -hmm. Empire, right? Yeah. And that um, not everybody... Anyways, they all don't love each other. Yeah. Um, and usually you'd have this like this, you know, very severe like deference to the authority. Yeah, that's loyalty. Above you. Yeah. yeah. But that's just not right for Kefka, nope. nor is it for Gestal, nor is it for a lot of people. So it's very, very strange. Um, and then, of course, you have the the classic, classic line here uh, by Kefka as he, you know, he's walking up and he's, ahem. <laughs> there's sand in my boots <laughs> yep. and everyone's like oh of course of course and they go brush his brush feet off. off yeah that is absolutely so funny it's yep. it's great and this is i think the first time at least for me maybe you heard it in that terra flashback but this the is laugh. the first time i remember hearing the laugh i think this is the first yeah the first part yeah and that's uh, a very specific sound effect for this game, I, I had never heard it anywhere else. But yeah, I'm pretty except sure. Except for like maybe Chrono Trigger. But. This would technically be the first Final Fantasy character to be given a voice. Oh, that's true. Like there you a, go. Like an actual yeah, voice, yeah. right? A, a laugh. It's and not it's, dialogue, but it's a voice, right? Right. It's not what you would expect either. No. It's very strange. Although, so I did end up watching that FMV, that new oh, intro yeah, that they made in the cinematic, late 90s. Yeah, the um, like it's, it's interesting. Um, I much prefer the pixel art to, to that. that. Um, at least in part because you see, you see Kefka and you see the madness, you see his face, you see, like you're introduced to that right at the beginning in the FMV. He looks sinister in the FMV. Yeah, yeah. totally. And whereas in the, in the, um, with the pixel art, they're having to use a lot of uh, dialogue and a lot of, um, you know, maybe some animations and the way that he's presented in the pixel art, it's not so clear what's going on there yeah. <laughs> with, his, with his face or yeah. with anything like that. Right. They have to do other creative things to make him seem crazy. They give him this voice, right? This yeah. laugh, mm -hmm. you know, the way that he's written is just like completely psycho. Even in the Japanese, he's pretty psycho. Yeah. More psycho in the English version, though, <laughs> especially the SNES version I'm playing. Um, but seeing that, that FMV, I feel like I don't like it. You don't, I, you're not I, a fan of it? I don't like that I saw Kefka 
I don't like that I saw his face in the FMV. Like a before. sinister expression. Yes. This goes back to- And it's not to... just that. It's, it's his whole character. It's, I don't know. I would rather be introduced to it here in this manner mm. than in the FMV where I'm already kind of like, ooh, what's up with this guy? You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is much better. Yeah. It, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about. I don't know if it was last time or first episode or whatever. The difference in presentation between a theatrical versus a cinematic uh, uh, approach yes, to yes, like exactly. showing you what a character is thinking and feeling, yeah. right? And that F- that FMV you're talking about is very cinematic in presentation. Very much so, which is not like we mentioned yeah. that not the right treatment for this game. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't, I don't think so. Now, either way, you can have a character that more or less looks like that. That's fine. Um, I don't know. I guess my point is like the way that they portray him here. He's absolutely off his rocker. <laughs> he is insane. And I, I I love this introduction. It would almost be like they added a new scene at the beginning of The Dark Knight where the Joker is like you see him in a different way. And then the introduction later on do, isn't as powerful mm, I because, of how, because of how we'd already been introduced to him previously. That's an interesting point. Is, isn't the first time you see... The Joker in that movie is well, when he walks wearing... into the room with the mafia dudes all meeting about yes. what are we going to do with this the Batman thing? Now and he, he does the pencil through the guy's eye. Yes, like, that's it's like the such first a good intro. Yeah. But the thing is, you had seen him previous to that, but he was wearing that oh, big the mask, mask for the top. bank heist. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. But so you had seen him, but the real character intro came at that point. Right. 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 Uh, and, and to to that degree, it, it's it's possible that that could undercut my point a little bit. But I I I feel like. Um, having a, a more solid intro at this point um, is much, much better than the, what the FMV kind of hinted at and showed yeah, you know, at the very beginning. Like alluded to. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Even with point. Terra and all of that. It's an interesting point too because like, and there's a whole further discussion that may someday happen about like Final Fantasy VII Remake or something like that where you create something with the anticipation that your audience already knows. Exactly. Kind of a thing. Yes. Right? And yes. like, like when Advent is that children. appropriate to do versus yeah. well but there are people who are this is their first exposure to the thing Tons. and is this the right time yeah. to show you know it's a good and question you know what <laughs> reading the comments for from our last episode man they, a ton of people are going to be playing this game for the first yeah, time yeah i was surprised along by that with too. us on this podcast i was surprised by that too and a ton of people haven't played it yet and in that way i'm like good do do the SNES or maybe the Game Boy Advanced, but the the FMVs. Did the Game Boy Advanced include those? No, FMVs? it didn't. Okay, um, I just I just probably would rather have the game without them. Um, but they're cool. They look really cool. Yeah, I, the thing that I appreciate about them is that um, they ver- they very closely sort of resemble the Amano concepts. Yeah, like even yeah. Um, Shadow has like blue skin underneath his like black uh, mask and. You know, <laughs> so like, oh, you probably didn't see that part. You know, I actually ended up watching all of it. Oh, you saw, you saw all of it. Well, yeah, I, I, okay. I thought I was just watching the intro FMV. <laughs> I didn't know. Apparently there are FMVs going throughout. Kind of throughout the different parts. I watched, yeah. apparently I watched, I've already played the game for it, so it didn't ruin anything. But, um, I watched all the, somebody just lined them all up and it was like yeah, eight, just mi- eight minutes long. Yeah. And it took me about halfway through to where I was like, oh wait, this isn't, oh, okay. This isn't, Cause yeah. I thought it was sort of like a, you know, in Final Fantasy eight or something where sure. they're showing some flashbacks or Mon- Montage-y some sort of yeah some edits of the game in the future of yeah. what will happen you know yeah. i thought that's what was happening and i'm like yeah. oh this i don't like what they're doing here man they, and they, at some point i was like oh these are just they kind together. of do that i think i, I must have watched the same video you did because they oh. kind of do that 
and some very brief ones where they show like the opera scene and yeah, the yeah, coin yeah, scene yeah. and yes. a couple other things. But then it goes into the Terra uh, and Kefka and she's getting into the um, matchstick armor and they march off and the door opens and it like Okay, so they the did show some of that. That was kind of the end. It's just a few brief ones. But then after that, they actually show several scenes well, okay. where the, you get the full scene. So real right? quick, let me get this straight. In the intro FMV, they showed that clip the of Kefka, co- the coin flip, and the the montage stuff in the intro. FMV. A couple, yes. Okay, yes, a couple. I, I have like that. very big problems <laughs> with, with the intro FMV now, even bigger than what I had just previously mentioned, because that um, shouldn't have been shown. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> but if for, not to those too... who don't know what we're talking about, that's fine. Don't just. I wouldn't recommend you play that version, except that it's kind of cool to every two hours of gameplay see a five second FMV. <laughs> like it's yeah. kind of cool. I don't know that it's worth it. I think if you played the game before, it's if you played it before, no big deal. Whatever. If yeah. this is your first time, maybe the the yeah. remaster or what was it called? Pixel remaster. The oh, which apparently is like coming out soon, but it's not quite. Well, out it's yet. out on, on PC, Switch, but the but the, the, the console versions are coming out soon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So some people holding out for those. Totally understand. Uh, <laughs> like, awesome. Play this game in whatever m- mode you know best yeah. best fits you. Right. Um, but if you're playing the like the anthology, is that what it's called? The anthology, anthology is the that's yeah, what has the FMB PS One right? version. Yes. Anyways, just know that. Well, maybe just don't pay too much attention to those FMBs. <laughs> How about that? Okay, so yeah, sand in my boots. They they wipe it off and you know pathetic. <laughs> and they walk up to the uh, the castle. Yeah. So um, I guess to set this up a little bit, uh, Edgar and his kingdom Figaro have an alliance with the Empire. Yes. But in some of the dialogue, I I, I was talking about this a, a little bit with Pat Holloman, who's been a, a guest on the show a couple times. Yeah. And, you know, we mentioned it a little bit last time, too, about how concise, like, the dialogue is in this game, um, how much they say with so little. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to comment on that in a bit more depth as to how maybe in some instances it, it may hurt the game a little bit, that it doesn't, that it so quickly, like, goes through big, important sort of, like, key points yeah. of yeah. the plot. But... For this particular section, this whole Figaro section, I really actually love... I loved it. <laughs> ...how they are able to establish kind of so, exactly the things you need to know. Yes. And no more. No more. To give you, yes. like, a really good picture of, like, the political landscape yeah. here. And without... for that whole scene to kind of take place well, including the escape and all of yeah. that. Like, they gave us... Everything everything really worked perfectly, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, without like belaboring the point yes. or like overstaying yes, yes. their welcome or making the scene take forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, what they are able to establish here is that Edgar is in like a fake alliance with yeah, the Empire, right? And he's yeah. actually working with the Returners, and Locke is acting as his like go between there. Yeah. Um, that he's sort of like keeping a front here as a means to be able to keep his eye on the empire. But the empire is currently like going from kind of kingdom to kingdom and just taking over like all over the world. They're just like taking down all of these different places. And so it's getting to a point where like this can't continue. Like obviously nobody is safe. I mean, right after this, Oh, after the Returners hideout, we're going to see them attacking Doma. But right. I think one of the things that Edgar yeah. says is, um, 
and again, this is the advanced version of the script, you wouldn't be thinking of invading my kingdom next, would you? We have an alliance. Um, and then uh, I hear you've been busy down south taking over a, a country or three. Just what is the empire up to? So it's just a couple of lines, hmm. but it sort of like establishes the fact that like the world is just kind of slowly falling yeah. to this expanding empire. And uh, obviously Figaro has really no shot of standing yeah. up to them. But it also makes me sort of wonder about what we learned last week, which is because uh, we were talking about the differences in the script in the SNES version Arvis, the old man who helped Terra back in Narsh, says, um, oh, this town has no chance, stands no chance against the Empire. But yeah. what it really should have said is they're like one of the few nations that can stand up to them, that but has they the won't. will to do it. They yeah, remain yeah. neutral. Oh, right. Oh, so right? they don't have the will. They have the ability, but not the will. Yes. Something like that, yeah. Right. And so it's like, wow, Narsh... Hmm. is really, really powerful then. <laughs> Apparently those, <laughs> fi those five houses um, in Narsh, you know, really uh, well stocked up and armored. Yeah, I mean, like technologically, they must be fairly advanced because we're seeing, we're seeing yeah. evidence here that the empire is just like, I mean, just kingdoms are dropping like flies as they expand and take over. Yeah. Uh, but Narsh apparently has, you know, the power to actually stand up against them. So yeah, that's, that's going to come into the strategy or the planning of the returners here in the scene that we'll come into in a minute. But it could be also the Narsh uh, has a little bit more wealth than the other places being that they have a mine. That, that yeah, I think that to. that's true. Yes. Yeah, so they have resources, they have money, they have tools, like they're capable. They're just very capable people. Yeah. Any, any place with, uh, you know, the resources, resources of that kind are going to, yeah. you know, Metal, well, it's, 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 money. a it would become a complicated situation to, like take over a place like that because their exports, yeah. you know, you need them to wage your yeah, war in the first true. place, right? So they have a lot of leverage there. Right. So if you take it over, now you mm. need to, you either enslave them <laughs> or you send your own people to run those mines. Right. But it's like, it's better to just have a mutually beneficial, yeah. you know, trade rather than like a forced, you know, system that, that could totally ruin your whole empire. Right. So that would give Narsh quite a large advantage actually, because they yeah. probably do a lot of uh, exporting and trading to Gestal, and that's yeah. probably what gives them the ability to wage the wars that they're waging. So that's pretty cool. Like anyway, it's not a lot said here, like directly. They don't need to like, like I said, they don't need to sit here and exposit this and belabor the point. Mm. Uh, but it, it's, I like how concisely they can paint that picture about like the political landscape without yeah. giving us unnecessary detail. Yeah, and that's cool. something that I think a lot of JRPGs today could learn from. Now, of course, a large part of this is the fact that Woolsey was so limited in the amount of text he could even put into the thing. And yeah. even in this version, they add a few extra lines onto some things where he only had one sentence. Like oh, sure. In this version, they'll add another they sentence add or two events, to give right. you a little bit more extra boxes. than the original. But Okay, so Sniper LAN has just a great, <laughs> a great little comment here. <laughs> I mean, he this says, is a fair point. Yes. It's a fair point, and this may have been what Wolseley was taking into account when sure, he kind when of rewrote, took some liberties. Uh, Sniper Elian wrote, apparently, three Magitek armors are enough to take Narsh. So there's that. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know. That's that kind of uh, 
that's a good counterpoint, I suppose. Maybe Narsh isn't as super popular, or maybe they took him by surprise because it was nighttime. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's other ways that that could be explained. And, and that you'll find yeah. this in basically every Final Fantasy game's plots. Like, uh, all the plots of Final Fantasy have points like that that sort of contradict the logic of the world. Mm. And it's clear that they just didn't care that much about that. And I don't either. <laughs> it's I don't not that really important. Care. Because in... in like we mentioned so many times, like I just mentioned, there's five houses in Narsh, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, the Narsh is probably a big sprawling town. Yeah. It's probably the, the three Magitek. They, that was probably three people that were representative of an entire invading force, right? Yeah. It was probably like the abstraction, you know, can, yes. it, it, or, it's very easy to forgive RPGs with, with things like this actually, because we know what they were likely trying to imply. And we filled it in with our minds. We're not like, we're, I want to say we're not stupid, but like we're not ignorant of the fact that yeah. the limitations mean they have to present things in a certain way, but that it's actually really cool and really fun uh, that a lot of the world building in an RPG, especially an SNES era RPG, is done in your own mind. Yeah, it's left to the uh, imagination. And you're filling in the gaps, and, and that's really useful in a game or in any kind of media um, that relies on the player to kind of help fill in the story for them because you're going to put in some super cool stuff sure. that they wouldn't have been able to show you. Um, anyways, with the abstraction stuff, it's not too big of a problem. Yeah. I, I forgive it very easily. I think, yeah, a lot of these things are easy to kind of look over for that exact reason. But yeah. I'm going to circle back to a thought I just had about three Magitek armors being able to do that. Okay. I think when we well, get Tara, to the council Tara scene, <laughs> well, Tara being part of She's it too. She's pretty powerful. But uh, on top of that, um, anyway, I'll, I'll okay. circle onto the Magitek in a second. Let's do it. Uh, let's get through Figaro, oh, Figaro. first. Though. Um, um, one thing I loved is that Edgar, as soon as I think it was right when Kefka shows up, Edgar kind of takes a few steps forward and then turns back around and <laughs> talks a little bit more to his advisor or to yeah. Locke and then takes a few more steps and then comes back. <laughs> And then he goes up and talks to Kefka, and it's like, okay, um, I think there was a line somewhere here that Edgar would do well to act more kingly. Oh, right? sure. That he's kind of a little, people don't respect him a ton. Like, he's not the most, um, he doesn't command authority, maybe the way a typical king would or should. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just, I thought that was really funny. He's definitely playing a part that's a little bit... No, I'm pretty sure that uh, Sabin has a line a little later about like, oh, one won't you ever grow up brother or something like that? You know? So, I mean, obviously he's, he's uh, That's a womanizer. To him hitting on he girls. hits on all the girls in the castle yeah. and everything. So, you know, um, anyway, so he asks Kefka, you know, like, why have you come here basically? And <laughs> again, I, okay. Maybe now is the time to at least kind of start on this point, which is a larger point I wanted to make, especially based on some of the comments we received from last week about mm -hmm. the overratedness of Final Fantasy oh, VI. Stop it! People. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now I'm not I'm not trying to like uh, belittle anybody or anything like that. I think I, I actually think I there are some. I think there are actually some very seriously valid points in this regard. Sure, um, sure, but hopefully we can provide some context here that might help people understand a little better, like how some people might be reading it versus the way others are reading it. Um, the first time I played final fantasy six, I felt that way too. Um, I was like, wow, 
and I think I talked about this a little bit last time, right? Like, yeah, I wasn't like backwards. I wasn't that from, impressed with yeah. like the writing of Final Fantasy four or six or five mm. when I played them the first time. I was like, wow, because I had played seven and I was kind of expecting that, yeah. and I didn't know any of this about translation and character <laughs> limits and the, these little uh, cartridges only hold like thirty megabits of data in them. So like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, a like disc. it's like you know. Even yeah. text is like a, a, becomes a limit, which sounds insane today with the I storage know. capacity for yeah, things we have now. Crazy. Right. Anyway, point is, I, I felt similarly, so I kind of have some sympathy for that sort mm. of like point of view. Um, and to kind of build upon what we talked about last week with this being these games, the Super Nintendo ones in particular, being more theatrical in their presentational yeah. style that was huge. abstraction. When you brought that up last episode, I feel like that that was huge, not just for me, but I feel like that could be huge for a lot of people. Yeah. And that it was likely intentional. Yeah. So I, I started, uh, my first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy VII, which was clearly, I mean, it still has its theatrical presentational aspects, yeah, yeah. but they were definitely adding more cinematic yeah. elements to it too. Yoshinori Kitase wanted to be a filmmaker before he went into the game industry, similar to, um, uh, what's his name? Metal Gear Solid. Guy. Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, others. Final Fantasy <laughs> Tactics guy. I, my brain oh, is not working oh, right now. Oh, yeah. Matsuno. I him. Yeah, Matsuno. Matsuno. So like Matsuno, Hideo Kojima, Kitase, these were all people who aspired to be filmmakers yeah, first, that's right? right? Yeah. They grew up with that dream in mind. And so in that PlayStation era where they get, they got a camera finally, <laughs> <laughs> right? They, they took full use of it. Yeah. And so I kind of had that expectation of, of the presentation going backwards when right. really it was Tokashi Tokita hmm. in Final Fantasy four, who was sort of like the assistant director, you could say okay. under Sakaguchi, he was a theater major. Oh, interesting. And so oh, cool. Final Fantasy IV huh. was much more inspired. Now there are other quotes too, and I know some people have read or might bring up about how they wanted to model certain things off of movies. That was there too. But what I'm saying is Fine. Tokashi Tokita was a theater major, and he wanted the dramatic gravitas of a stage play to be how this felt. Yeah. And that was also true here. So when you think about the differences between stage plays versus cinema in how they write the dialogue, mm -hmm. how they perform yes. said dialogue, yes, yes, yes. Um, you have to realize like, yeah, this is not going for realism necessarily. Yeah, not really. Right? Mm -mm. Um, and I don't think this is either. And I don't think it can because you don't, you don't have enough words to type into the box to like <laughs> realistically portray the dialogue in a yeah. cinematic sort of... Uh, uh, convincing human way, mm. you'd have to do it more of that over the top, melodramatic was a word you brought up. Yeah. Theatrical, um, oh, uh, uh, more exaggerated form. Yeah. So you're going to see that in a lot of this dialogue. And I think if you have that expectation about it and you're reading it that way, the, 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 that's, you know, theater is not any less uh, a high art form than cinema is. And in fact, for a long, long time, cinema was considered, you know, yep. uh, just like games now, the days yeah. people don't really consider yeah. them on the level of film or something like that. Cinema was considered this, you know, 
low art form in, in comparison to the theater. And, to theater, yeah. And so, but it's just a different style. And so the, the dialogue is very concise. It's very compressed. It's very simple. But that's, that's where they're drawing the emotion is more in a similar fashion to how dialogue in the theater is yeah. versus a movie. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. So yep. anyways, I wanted to bring that point up because it, it sounds funny and very obvious and on the nose, right? Almost in like a, like a children's book kind of way or something yeah. that Edgar would say, this wouldn't have to do with that which everyone's been whispering about, would it? And Kafka's attempts to deflect that is lies. She merely stole something of minor value. Is she here? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're reading that in a cinematic voice, that doesn't seem very believable as a line of dialogue or response. If right. you're trying to convince somebody, oh, no, it's not a big deal. But then why are you here? Why did right. you bring soldiers? Why are you so interested? Yeah. It's obvious that's more than that. This is, this is very, um, it's not subtle dialogue. You know, but it's theatrical in presentation. And it's yeah. getting across in a, in a way that we've been talking about in terms of abstractions, mm. a point that you have to project and exaggerate in on the stage to get yes. the point across to the people in the back. In fact, the way that you read it just now is the way I would I would expect a line like that to have been performed. Yeah. In fact, possibly <laughs> possibly intending to be comedic. To be funny. Right? Like yes. nonsense. I don't care about that girl. Is she here? And like <laughs> yeah, but right. really overdoing it and yeah. like like and then you could imagine the crowd gets a little chuckle out of that, yeah. you know? And then that uh, to to just assume that they're going for this hardcore super serious like like movie, like, you know, I don't know, something like what James Bond or something like. <laughs> well, James Bond could be pretty. James Bond's pretty campy <laughs> back like, in the day. I actually was more, thinking of more like, of the, like this, the modern, <laughs> more of the modern Bond films are much more that way. Yeah, the modern ones. I'm trying to think of a, like Inception. I don't know. Just whatever. Yeah, something like super dramatic action, and serious. And a dramatic action movie that's expected to be like Leonardo DiCaprio with his like furrowed brow looking very serious, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's not what, that's not, that's just not what this is. No. And, and to the extent that you're disappointed that it's not that, that, that has an issue to do with your expectations, yes. which, and a lot of people didn't know, like when you played FF6, it's, it's not, it's no one's fault that you had those expectations. <laughs> no. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's no. just, you expected a thing and got something else and it, you like, you expected to bite into an apple and it was an onion. <laughs> yeah. Onions are really good, but you have to do certain things to them. You, you have can't to be expecting, if you, like ex it's an apple. if you expect an, an apple and you get an onion, that's going to be, it's not going to be pleasant. That's a problem. You're not going to have a good time. <laughs> okay. I think so. Gotta, anyway, that's, that's there. kind of my point here yeah, I like that it. I want to like point it. out and that like, I think a lot of people who may struggle with the dialogue or thinking is not well written. Maybe the reason is because you're expecting something akin to the PlayStation era games, which became yeah. more cinematic, became more pushed more in that direction than these did. And part of that was because of necessity, which we've already said many times, but part of it was yeah. just the reins passing to Katase who wanted to be more cinematic in the presentation. Right. And uh, that's kind of not what Final Fantasy was previous to that time. It was very much more theatrical in style. So anyway, cool. if you read it in that way, I think you'll have kind of a different sort of, you'll think differently about, you know, its, it's level of effectiveness, I guess. So uh, Edgar goes on to say, that's a tough one. 
uh, there are more girls here than grains of sand in the desert. <laughs> a man can't possibly keep track of them all. I mean, it's genuinely funny. <laughs> it's very funny. And it's so Edgar. It's yeah. It's just like, it's just great. Like, like you can imagine, like, trust me, I've tried. I've, <laughs> I've tried to account for every uh, young maiden in this castle and I can't even do it. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. So Kafka, you know, goes on to say, you know, I, I, I would, uh, I'm, I'd be afraid for what would happen to you if, if we come to find out that you're hiding her from us. He, 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 and they sort of yeah, like walk of off, course. right? A little bit sinister note that he leaves on there. And then he, you know, tells Locke to take Tara to her room where she's going to stay that night and that they need to start making plans, start making a strategy for how they're going to deal with this situation. Um, there's actually two scenes that we're going to go over today where Locke and Tara have kind of a one-on-one and I really liked them both. Um, so here, you know, he, he tells her to follow him. They go into the sort of tower there. And um, he says, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to drag you around uh, without giving you a chance to rest. And she's like, it's, it's funny because it's almost like he, it's hard to relate to the affliction which Tara has. Right, where yeah. she, she just basically woke up with no idea who she is yeah. and he's going around talking like this and he, okay your name's Locke, right like she's mm. he's kind of forgetting <laughs> almost like how yeah basic he's got to be and how he talks to her he said edgar told me about you is it true that you're a thief so she she doesn't even know if she should be trusting anybody mm, right this is like the really right. important key thing here like it's obvious to us playing the game like because again the style of presentation kafka's evil all empires and RPGs are bad. All kingdoms are good. So this is an empire. That means they're bad. <laughs> Kingdom of Figaro means they're good. But in this oh, character's great. perspective, yeah. not really having any memory whatsoever, having no idea who she should trust, she doesn't really know anybody from the empire as of right now. She only That's knows true. these people who have talked about the returners and how evil the empire is, but she doesn't know. So she's yeah. like, you're a thief? Am I hearing this right? Like, should I, should I even be listening to you? I don't even right. know if I want to talk to you. And of course, his, I'm a treasure hunter thing. Like, get it right. I'm so sick of explaining this. Um, he says, on the surface, Edgar pretends to support the Empire. Truth is, he's collaborating with an underground resistance group called the Returners. I serve as their go-between. The old man that you met in Mutney and Narsh is one of us, too. Um, and then she says, the Empire. But I'm an Imperial soldier. So... You're my enemy. Like, right. why are you talking to me? Like, mm. you're my friend. Like, I, she's just so confused. Yeah. And then he says, not anymore. They were using you. The things are different now. And she says, it's just, I don't know what I should do. Whenever I try to think, it just makes my head hurt worse. At, at, uh, all that matters is that you make your own decisions from now on, he says. You don't have to think too hard right now. You'll know what you want to do when the time comes. And she says, but how will I know which choice is right? Yep. I really like how they leave that off. Yeah. On I, that yeah and they kind of left it there. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, Locke can't do any more at this point. Like we no. understand her dilemma. They don't need to belabor the point past that line. Yeah. Like how will she know? And Locke could say something. He could give some like Jiminy Cricket advice that's useless. <laughs> and that's just like, well, you know, when you know, and you just, you, your heart feels it. And it's like, you can't, there's no, there's nowhere to go here. And I love it. It, it, it feels really nice when, when scenes get left on a point like this, right? It's yeah. indecisive, but they don't need to like belabor the point. I think yeah. it's very good. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's just really easy to understand the conflict that would be going on to imagine waking up one day and you're in the middle of this like war and you were apparently a soldier in that army (laughs) and the people who are the enemies are telling you no they were controlling you and all this stuff but it's like but i i must have been there for a reason right right? you would have to it's almost like trust trust yourself trust your past self (laughs) yeah that well i probably made the right decision joining their military to begin with right like I must have, right? Must or have. was I really a slave? It, it would be so. Yeah. It would be. It would be so hard to go through something like that. Oh, that. Would and be I think crazy. that they they portray her doubt of herself, of everyone around her, really well. And I love that they give you the choice to join the Returners or not when you get to their hideout. Yeah. Like you can yeah, say yeah. no to Bannon. You can if you want. Yes. Right. I really like that they did that. Um, one other thing here, um, this actually, as soon as you bring it up this way, it makes a little bit more sense when, when you first play Final Fantasy VI, and you get to that point where the old man takes off the slave crown, mm-hmm. right? And then we, you're introduced to Locke right at the beginning yep. and the old man says, so are you still a treasure hunter? Right. Yeah. Is this. Was Tara present in that room? No, she, she had already gone into oh, okay, the caves okay. at that point. I was going to say that would make sense. His reaction, yeah. his crazy reaction would have made more sense, <laughs> but yeah. maybe not. So like her first introduction to Locke would have been when she woke up from being unconscious in the cave and this guy's just carrying her Wait, out. That's another crazy thing. I My know. Gosh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Her life has been a mess so far. I know. It's like you can be very understanding as to why she doesn't necessarily want to trust these people. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the the next day, or I guess hours later, maybe Edgar sort of wakes up and as Edgar and get what's happening? Fire. What do you hear? Boom! You hear oh bell. the bell, the bell, the bell. Right. You wake up. You don't even know what's happened yet. Everything's dark. Edgar gets out of bed. All you hear is the dong and the bell, dong, and it's the same thing I brought up last episode. And um, then you start hearing the snare drums playing before you even see any yeah. fire. Yeah. Right, you you hear the bell tolling, which means people are dying, and then the snare drums, which means an army is approaching, and it's you already know it yeah. from the audible cues, and you step out, and and the whole castle is just on fire. Yep. And at this point, I can remember um, my first playthrough of the game being like, I don't know, like this is it, the castle's done for, you know? <laughs> yep, the castle's done for. What's going to happen now? Having no idea how they were going to get out of this one, mm. except you look at the sprites and it doesn't appear that anyone's like dying yet. There's, they're like <laughs> running and jumping really fast, like <laughs> yeah. in that really funny way that they did back then it's, when they it's, animated it's people classic. being scared. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, but this this whole scene, I actually really liked. I liked it a ton. This is when um, this is the famous line from Kefka: "Welcome to my barbecue." Because yep. he he asks, "Are you going to give me the girl?" And Edgar's like, "No." And he says, "Well then, welcome to my barbecue." Yep. Um, in the Japanese, he says, "I then you'll all burn to death." That's yeah. what he says in Japanese. So I should mention this: any reference, direct reference to death or the mm. word death like that was Ooh. censored in English for as hmm. part of Nintendo of America's censorship yeah. policies. Crazy. So like you'll hear Not a character saying like, go get them <laughs> when and really saying kill them. kill them. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, like the Japanese version obviously would have had Kefka saying something much more sinister and harsh there than whatever he and says. And then in the English version, it's just silly and clownish, but it still fits his character to some extent, but that, that's yeah. not what he said. Yeah. So bring me the girl now. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, 
then enjoy the barbecue in the yeah. other version. Welcome to my then, barbecue, which I actually like a little better. It's one of the my barbecue. It's one of the yeah, yeah. few instances where I actually appreciate the SNES yeah. sentence a little more than the retranslated sentence. But um, I don't know if you noticed this. A uh, couple things. First of all, depending on how much exploration of the castle you had done, I had done quite a bit. Uh, you, you would have gone to a place where a man talked about the castle having an engine room. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like and and an also saying that the the uh, the py- not the pyres like the the turrets of the castle had turbines yes, in them. Right. What's the use of that? Right. This is a castle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like a castle having engine. You mean a boiler room? Do you mean yeah, like what? what? What are you talking about? A ca- engine room. So yeah. that's you know one kind of small plan to get your mind kind of be like, wait a minute. Pretty cool. But also. Um, did you notice the Beavis and Butthead reference <laughs> from the the two so. soldiers? So Maybe. have you seen the fire, fire, fire? <laughs> I don't think I have. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. I don't think I've seen that before. <laughs> we'll probably have to play a clip here. Fire, 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 fire. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I I probably read the lines and had no idea it was a reference to that. Yeah, so it is. Um, <laughs> so Woolsey did that for the two soldiers. They're, they're just saying, fire, fire. <laughs> and they're oh kind of like gosh. chuckling like that. To, and they kept it I in this read version. That. Because I just thought that they were, um, how would you put it, different people. Uh, I, I felt, <laughs> I thought that, I thought that, uh, you know, there was something going on with those people <laughs> being kind of childish and sure, yeah. strange. Um, but yeah, that's what it's from. And so they kind of kept it for the advanced version. It's kind of become a a beloved sort of, you know, pop culture reference there. Um, so anyways, uh, then Edgar goes to one of his soldiers says, get her ready. And he Ooh, had a change of heart. Seems I have no choice or perhaps I do. And he jumps over onto the chocobo and rides around it's so cool (laughs) okay now you can look at this and be like that is like so cheesy that is so campy and i don't care that (laughs) this scene is awesome even playing it today i'm just i just i don't know i just i watch it and i'm just like this this is how games used to be (laughs) this is how games used to be and it's awesome there is nothing wrong with it yep um the whole castle then after they kind of jump out i guess this happens a little bit later but um after they jump off and then the, the chocobos kind of do a little loop de loop. They don't just run straight away. They yep. kind of go around a go little around. just to kind of show you like they're having fun with it. It's like the mask of Zorro. Kind of, <laughs> it's just a fun yeah. moment. That's it, just like, ha we high got it. Adventure. Yeah. Energy, high adventure. Yeah. Just like fun. The whole mm-hmm. world is, is open ahead of us now. And, and we just, we gave them the slip, you know, and they, you know, it, it's really cool. I absolutely love it. Um, then as the chocobos are running away, the whole castle submerges, submerges and Edgar's able to make that happen. Yep. And I'm just thinking Xenogears the whole time <laughs> well, <I'm> watching it. <laughs> well, so some people brought this up, even though yeah. we had mentioned it in episode one, that uh, Rene and, and Roni, um, yeah. which were the names of characters in Xenogears, are yes. actually references, well, original like... It's the uh, middle name. Soria Saga. Right? Yes, they're the yeah. middle names of... of uh, well, I keep wanting to say Mash. Mash is a Japanese name. Sabin oh, and Edgar. Edgar, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, Soria Saga, who wrote Xenogears, wrote this scenario for these two characters. Um, and so their middle names are Roni and Rene. Hmm. And they live in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> they have a desert kingdom <laughs> like Ave. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so there's kind of a lot that kind of carried over from the six into Xenogears from this particular yeah, scenario. Yeah. 
which is it's fun. It's cool. You can see that you know these people were sort of developing a lot of the ideas for their own thing. Yeah, which was a a big part of the development story of of like Final Fantasy, which I'll talk a lot more about when the retrospectives release uh, later this year. But mm. um, Tetsuya Takahashi, Kaori Tanaka slash Soria Saga, yeah. uh, Kitase. Nomura, these guys were junior developers who had sort of earned their way up to be now we're ready to be senior developers. Yeah, we're ready to lead projects yeah, of our leaders. own. We don't want to just make your games forever, yeah. Mr. Sakaguchi. <laughs> Please let us do yeah. our own thing. Yeah. And it was this was kind of the pinnacle moment of disagreements, of mm. people wanting to do their own thing. And you can see some of those ideas were even here, just like creeping up and then carried over yeah. into their own things later. And a lot of these, a lot of these junior developers right here became senior developers. Like right, right after, after this. this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and partially because of this. Yeah. Created their own IPs or took final fantasy games in their very own kind of personal directions with FF8. Mm. So, um, a lot of that was kind of going on under the hood here. And I feel like this was like a stepping stone towards that where Sakaguchi was like, I'm too busy to like direct this game like I did before. So why don't all of you, my sons and daughters, like you go, you all get to be scenario writers this time. Like mm. you, you take these characters and you take those yeah, characters yeah. and you can kind of do it your own way. And then we'll kind of pull it together. You know, what's make funny? it work. <laughs> once, once you give a lot of people that kind of freedom yeah. into working on a video game where they get that much input, you, you don't just then go to the next project and say, okay, now go back to your you know, seat where you have no input. Making maps again. <laughs> you end up, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you end up elevating them to this point where you then have to kind of, you, you it would feel like a demotion. It would be demoralizing for yeah. them to then go back to where they were in FF4. Yeah. You know, and it's like you have to then let them shine, right? Yeah. Anyways, a very good. Yeah, but it's, it's just cool, particularly after having covered Xenogears, to see a little sliver of Xenogears right here yeah, yeah. in Final Fantasy VI with this scene. So, And what I stuff. love too, so as the super awesome, I, you can almost hear Indiana Jones music playing. Yep. When they yep. jump on that Chocobo, da, it's da, just like, da, yes. da, da, It's da, so good. Da, da, da. But they run away, and then the mech um, soldiers kind of catch up, and we have a yep. little fight. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that Edgar or Locke are see, see Terra's abilities in battle. Well, is it so it? it depends on if you used magic when going towards Figaro from yeah. Narsh. I suppose I did. So this is kind <laughs> of the, the funny scene, part. The scene still plays the same, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. Well, be, uh, actually, so I played this two different times because I was looking at two different translations. Um, in one instance, Terra got killed one hit shot <laughs> right away. <laughs> Okay. So this scene didn't play until later because oh, yeah, she yeah. wasn't able to cast magic in a battle until I was in the mm. caves going towards South Vigaro or something like that. But it, it is funny that Locke, I mean, unless you just attacked with Terra, I guess, just physical attacked all the way there and you didn't use any magic, he should have seen this already right. in random battles leading up to Figaro to begin with. But I guess he just, oh. I, that was magic. Are you serious? <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> it you makes know? sense. It makes a little more sense for Edgar. <clears throat> yeah. And obviously Edgar is just wildly attracted to, to this woman, Tara. Sure. And so that made sense. Locke being kind of like right there with him is, yeah. is just a funny, a funny yeah. addition, I guess. Yeah. Um, but so 
It's so funny because when Edgar first meets Tara, he says, oh, I guess your abilities would be a distant third, right? Yeah, He's right. very attracted to her looks and her personality first, yeah, and her, right. her voice and all of this stuff. Uh, but now as soon as he sees her abilities, he's just like, they both like swoon and like, <laughs> they like faint off off of the, the camera. Yeah. And it's all happening while the enemies are still there. Yeah. The enemies are still there. And, and if this and is not evidence there, enough that this is not meant to be realistically yes. portrayed, that this is very theatrical it is, and abstract. Think in about this. In a play, you would totally stop in the middle of a sword fight and step forward and deliver a soliloquy sure. or a song or whatever and then step back in and finish the fight. Sure. That would happen yes. in a play. Yes, It 100%. would not happen in a movie. <laughs> no. Unless it's a weird musical movie, which some some maybe, maybe. Yeah, musicals could do that. They yeah, could do something that like off. that. Um, but yeah, this is clearly a play or a musical, if you, if you will. Well, you know, this is kind of funny too because like I grew up, like really hating musicals. I just like the whole medium, I guess. I was just like, I'm not into it. Um, And as I've grown older, I sort of realized the the town did not break out into song when the Wells Fargo truck pulled in. (laughs) That's not, you're not supposed to believe that that's what happened. I know. You take it too literally. It's an expression of excitement from a small town that they're getting mail from somewhere else. It's just that that's telling you a story yeah. about the history of the town and the spirit of the town in the, 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 uh, in song form. Right. But I'm not supposed to take from that scene. Everybody burst out in harmony that and that actually happened and that, that literally <laughs> happened. Right. And yeah. this is a similar thing. Final fantasy six is full of this type of presentation. So, I really, really feel strongly. You yeah. are meant to be interpreting Final Fantasy VI as a stage performance of little people, little tiny characters yeah. inside of a. What, you, um, what was the word? A diorama. A diorama. That was it. A miniature. Instead of like a cinematic, like performance, yeah. it's just not meant to be taken that way. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. So yeah, they're all surprised. Holy crap! That's um, magic. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So they end up doing their fight. They leave. And this is where Kefka says uh, in English, son of a submariner. <laughs> yeah. They changed that in this well, do you, do you translation. Know, okay. What is it? To sandworm, son of a sandworm. Okay. Well, still. The not... Japanese was kso. Really? <laughs> if, if, if you know, if you've watched anime in Japanese, you will hear that quite often. Uh, <laughs> it's really it's a, different. It's a reference to excrement. In fact, um, often, often they will say kuso in the Japanese version. Mm. And it's always translated as something weird in English. Um, but that's in part because I don't think from the English I have not heard a swear word yet. Is that correct? No, they wouldn't have included that no. in the original English because it, it would have been censored for kids. Anyways. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I'll mention it here for those who <laughs> have, haven't heard it yet from our previous podcast. But Japanese doesn't have swear words yeah. the way that English does. Yeah. There's just, you, and, and it's, they, they just have overly rude ways of talking. Like it, the whole sentence becomes a swear word as opposed to just one word that's like, oh, you don't use that word. Like they use so. To be like, like, snot mm. is hanakuso. Yeah. Earwax is mimikuso. Yeah. It's just the word yeah. that they use for like crap. Something you know? <laughs> like slimy, gross. Just gross yeah. things that yeah. come out of your body, right? But when they just say kuso, it is obviously meant to be something along the lines of a swear word in English. But when the localizers are like, well, we don't do, like English, that's like a bigger deal. We yeah. don't just throw swear words around 
in English for like games that we want to market towards like young kids. kids. Yeah. Now maybe that's changing today, but in the ni- early nineties, that yeah, was a big deal. And especially sure. with the ESRB. Yeah. But this game was rated teen, I think, right? Teen? Uh, I, th- I don't remember. I, th- I, 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 I think it was it E. I'm pretty sure it was E. Was it E? Oh yeah. my gosh. Hold on. We have to because like because Nintendo of America was hardcore about what they would censor on these games Jeez. to get them to be E. Like, in, in, on top of, like, any sort of profanity or references to sexuality, for sure anything to religion. Yes, it did. No, look at that T. Well, it was T. Huh. The next four games have E10+. plus. The first game is E. Oh, yeah, and then Oh, so the six. Super Nintendo so game. So 6 was the very first T-rated. T, T-rated game. Huh. But was that in just in Japan? Or ESRB is just American? Well, ESRB is American. Yeah, it's okay. Not, so, yeah, it's yeah. just. Um, it's crazy. Interesting. Oh, anyway. anyways, okay, so it is rated teen. I'm just saying that swear words is something that Nintendo, I guess, and a lot of these early games were very much more sensitive about. Yep. And so you will see Kuso, and I'll bring it up many times, translated as all sorts of crazy things. Um, it's not like the most common word in, in Japanese for when people are upset, uh, but they use it a lot in anime and video games. Yeah, you hear it all the time in anime. Yes. All the time. <laughs> yes, yes. All the freaking time, man. Um, okay, so this next little scene, as they're riding off and escaping, yeah, uh, I, I liked this a lot, too. Um, and I actually played a third translation, just for the... I'm not playing the game okay. three times. Was this a fan? It is a fan-translated okay. one. And this was the one instance of anything I had seen so far where I actually liked the fan-translated version better than any okay. of the others. Um, probably more literal, right? Um, maybe, but like the, the, so what I liked was they're, they're explaining to her, you know, like, sorry that we freaked out like that. Um, magic is, you know, just, you know, supposed to be gone from the world and, you know, it's not supposed to, we're not supposed to have magic anymore. So seeing that was a shock. And then like, you know, you really should come see our mentor, Bannon, uh, the leader of our resistance. Um, I think he can probably help you understand your powers better. Mm. And, um, you know, I think it'd be really good for you to learn more about yourself and about your powers to come talk to him. And they begin to become kind of lost in their conversation back and forth, Locke and Edgar, almost to the point like they forget who they're talking mm. about is right there next to them. Oh, yes, that's right. Kind of I thing. remember this. Yeah, yeah. So like, oh, man, like, she, so she, she reacted to that Esper. So that must be a connection. Um, and then Edgar says something very specific here where he says, uh, I don't know. Or, I wrote or she down says, this line. Oh, he says that Esper reacted to your magical mm. powers. There's got to be a relationship. And Tara says, I don't know any more than you do. These powers just come naturally to me. And he says, but no human is born mm-hmm. with the powers that you seem to have. And yeah. then I love the way that they um, sort of choreograph the scene. Her... Uh, Chugba just starts to fall behind on that word, but no human yes. is born with these powers. In other and words, she just yeah, they just like said you're that. you're not human. Yes, yeah, right. That's a huge revelation for anybody. And and then you know the the other Chugba circle back around yeah. kind of slowly. I just love the timing of it all. Yeah, it's and they really pull good. up and and he just apologizes like, forgive me, I I yeah. I, a lot, I forgot myself there for a second. Right, um, in the. And the SNES version is similar in how it's worded. I've like got no, no, human. no human is born with the use of magical powers. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the fan translated one, they went a little bit further with that. No normal human or ah, no regular human good, or something good. like that. Right. That's good. And That's it good. just like hits her like, 
man, like I'm not Once normal. I'm Once not again. like you. I don't fit in. Like just this is yeah. building up in her. She doesn't have, she has no idea where she fits in. She has no idea what her identity is at all. Yeah. And like even these people who are trying to help her and be nice to her, she doesn't feel like she belongs. And they are right. admitting she doesn't really belong. And yeah. so like, it's just a hard thing to know what should I do? I don't feel like I fit with you, but you're being kind to me, but, and I don't know anyone else, but you're scared of me and you're freaked out when I use these powers. And so like, they're really doing a great job. I feel like of building this internal conflict for Tara, Hmm. even though she's not given nearly as many lines as other characters. Um, you know, they're doing a lot more of the talking. They're doing a lot more of the taking action, (laughs) but like the real conflict of the game is in her. And I think it, they mm-hmm. did a beautiful job of illustrating that here in the scene. It really hit me. Like this, this is one of the early scenes where like I actually felt like a strong emotion to that reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, having felt something similar, like you don't belong before, you know, people are saying something about you and you overhear it, you know, and, and you feel like, oh, you know, like these people, maybe they're pretending or they don't, they right. don't really like me. They're, they, they're not really trying to help me. They're trying to yeah. use me. Yeah. That's exactly the wrong thing to say. Mm-hmm. If you've been trying to convince her, like he had earlier, oh, we're not like the empire. We're not going to make you do this. Yes. We're going to let you decide. But at the same time, all they can seem to focus on is how this will help them win the war. Yeah, it'll help them win the war. <laughs> and also she's not human. And if, yes. some, if someone's not human, do they have rights? You know, yeah. like, like anyways, the, the, you can imagine how her mind would just kind of go places where it's just like, are they actually going to help me or not? Yeah. And so, you know, Edgar feels bad and, and it's, it's not until Locke sort of just like, you know, please, like, please yeah. come with us. And she kind of gives into him. It's usually him. He'll kind of have this like gentle sort of interaction with her, whether it was back at Figaro Castle, whether mm. it's going to be here in a minute in the Returner's hideout after the whole Bannon scene, which is yeah. a very similar thing happens. Yes, very similar. Bannon speaks in a way that's very... Um, not very concerned with her feelings yeah. and Locke has to kind of soften that. And so like she, she likes him. She likes Locke. Yeah. Even though she doesn't know if she should trust a thief. She, well, but, <laughs> I don't know. There's something appealing about a thief. <laughs> That's true actually. But um, anyway, really, really good scene. I thought that was really well executed overall. Um, so they decide they got to go to South Figaro, which is through a cave. Um, yeah. Not really much to speak of there. They go through, they come to a, the, the town itself. It's cool. I like the town. It looks yeah. cool. It's a mm. pretty big town. And it's fun. There will be more to talk about here when Locke comes back later. Yeah. But this is um, a place that's about to be occupied by the Empire. And um, really the only thing I, I took any mental note of here was there's this sort of rich guy that lives in one yeah. of the larger... Uh, houses there and he's writing a letter and he's like oh don't interrupt me when I'm writing a letter or whatever mm. and when you revisit the town with Locke later he feels bad because he was obviously writing and giving some kind of intelligence to an yeah. imperial commander or something like that which yeah. led to the occupation of the town yeah. and then he feels like super guilty like why did I he said why do, did I do that I, I didn't need the money I didn't even need the money yeah, yeah. So I like that, even like just little things like this, right? Again, this is another great example of how concise the dialogue is, but yet it's able to express something pretty profound with that. I think so, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you just have to do a little bit of imaginative work. Yeah. Just a little bit, like a very (laughs) small amount. And and you can have this incredible depth that the game has to offer. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, if you're just like reading it, you know. 
uh, just on its face and taking everything literally, I, I, I suppose I can, I can understand a more negative experience with this game. Yeah. I mean, I, the, that particular criticism about the simplicity of the dialogue is not unfounded. I just think that <laughs> I think that it works dude. for many reasons. One being the form in which they present it, which is abstraction layered on abstraction, layered on abstraction. Yeah. So you're already doing this in other aspects. You're doing yeah. this when you, when it comes to believing that they walked 20 miles over the course of days instead of five <laughs> yeah. seconds <Yeah>. to <laughs> a town where you fought a bunny along the way or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're already having to do this work yeah. in filling in the gaps of the abstraction. The abstraction is used to get across an idea without presenting it in a literal way. And I, like I said last time, I feel like the dialogue partly due to the constraints placed on, uh, memory restriction is also doing that. It's presented in a way in which I feel, uh, obviously it might not be as obvious as I'm wanting to say now, because I didn't feel that way the first time I played the game, but upon Mm. revisiting it, it became more obvious to me. Yes. That this is also true of the dialogue. That's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 it may not be readily apparent on its face. It, it becomes apparent. Yeah. As you take the game more seriously, you see that, that it's there. The and, game has that. And I felt like this particular example with this guy. I mean, yeah, I think he yeah. says maybe four lines or three lines total to you. Yeah. But I could feel it. I yeah, could context, feel his regret. I yeah. could feel his like, why on earth mm. did I do that? Like... You know, you could sort of, again, fill in the gaps. Imagine a rich man living in this town sees what's happening politically in the world, sees the almost inevitability mm-hmm. of the takeover of the empire, has a lot to lose. True. Yeah. And what do people who fear having a lot to lose do? They want to try to keep it. Yes. And, one and way, they will kind of play both sides yeah. a little bit, you know, just to try to make sure that they preserve their spot no matter who ends who up being wins, in power. Who wins, I can end up. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So and he then, writes a letter to Gestal and he's just like, hey, you know, let's work together. Yeah, right. And then when it actually <laughs> comes to pass, when he sees the people yeah. of the town suffering and oppressed. Unless he's a psychopath. Yeah. He then ex- has this I didn't this even need the money. Exactly. Why yeah. did I do that? So what? Yeah. And I, I feel like that comes across really strongly. I, I think, think they do a good. really good job pre- presenting that in, again, super concise language. Yeah. And I, I, I just think it works. I really do. Very nice. Um, outside of that, I think the only other thing, Shadow. you meet Shadow here. Yeah, and his yeah. dog. Um, you, you, if you talk to him in the cafe. <laughs> yeah, the cafe slash bar. It's now, definitely a bar. There's another thing that happens later on. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it later, but this guy wants some cider. Yeah. It's sake. It's, yeah. In it's, Japanese, it's, it's supposed sake. to be okay. alcohol. Anyways, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, so you're in this, you're in the, but it's so funny because RPGs and taverns or bars or like they've become ubiquitous, right? Yeah, it, right. It, it's like everyone knows that when you play an RPG, you go to the local tavern. Mm. But Nintendo, <laughs> Nintendo wanted to censor all that stuff. I just think yep. that's ridiculous. Yep. Um, but, and also, JRPGs without taverns are not worth playing. No. Got <laughs> out. Got there's out another taverns. one here. There's another one. Um, and it's the inn, right? Mm. And, but JRPGs need two important things in every town. They need a tavern and they need an inn. And this is something that uh, I've always loved is when you stay at an inn in a video game. Mm. I've always loved it. It's been something ever since like Mario RPG. It's just been a a thing for me. So something that often really bothers me in games is when you um, go to stay at an inn and the screen just turns black. 
and then oh. turns back on without the and jingle. you don't get to see well you don't get to see him oh, go and lay in the walk bed walk into the bed yes. and it slowly fades yes, yes no, I, see I want the satisfaction <laughs> after a long day of grinding or whatever it is going to an inn and walking into the bed and laying down and then waking up in the room it's another room to explore yeah, right. like whenever like okay here's a great, good slash bad example <laughs> quest 64 <laughs> <laughs> You go in, you go to the inn. I was so excited to go see the inn in that game. And you they don't let you. You sit there and it's just a save spot or your health goes up, but it's like there is no actual room in the inn. We have That's another annoying man. Another I hate reason it. to throw on the trash heap of reasons why that game sucks. <laughs> that game dude. <laughs> but it was all we had at the time I and know. it was so we made the most of it <laughs> but that's when i first realized like oh my gosh you're not they're not gonna let me they're not gonna let me see the 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 hotel room i am so mad yep so anyways it's really it's really nice they got four beds so you can have all four yep. of your party members go in then you can walk around and just check out the room mario R- mario rpg one of my favorite games ever i'm seeing a ton of stuff because that game was made in 1996 by square yeah. soft mm-hmm. yep and a lot of the same people who worked on this game would have then gone to work on Mario RPG yep. and a lot of similar themes. And I'm seeing a lot of it coming out too. Yeah. And this is part of why this game just this this game is so good to yeah. me. I absolutely love it. It's awesome. <clears throat> um you could also talk to Duncan's widow, although we don't know she's a widow yet. She lives in this town, the Master oh, Duncan. Up, up north in the no, town. No, she, she the lives in north? South Figaro. Oh, and then Duncan. Um, yeah. So she'll yeah, yeah. she'll tell you something gotcha. like, um, my husband is training these two guys right. and blah, blah, blah. Sort of the introduction to the next scenario we're going to get yeah, with Sabin and Sabin. Vargas. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I didn't take really very many notes. In I Figaro, didn't so. except just be sure to check all the boxes and all the barrels and all the pots. And Don't. No. Don't do it. Don't. Because these items are upgraded later in the game. So if you get the treasure chests oh, and you no. get the items now, they're like weak items. And you and don't they, get them again later, later in the game. Yeah, once you take it, then it's empty. But if you wait till later in the game, I should not have told you no this. Way. This is the worst person I should no have told this way. to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and a little bit of backstory. I tried to I just OP. made a mistake. <laughs> I OP every game and I have serious FOMO. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. Now here's here's the thing. Had had I not played this game before, I I would I would yeah. But I played it before. I do this every time though. Well, I don't know how anyone would have feel right. found that out until oh someone's gosh. like I don't know digging through the ROM. Somebody like would have to find me that that's there and then puts it in a game wow. FAQ later on. But it's Can annoying. We... So there's all the chests in in the Narsh caves earlier. Um, and even in the South Figaro caves, and then the, the chests inside of the houses of South Figaro are fine to get now, but the <laughs> Don't pots, even, I'm not getting anything the more for the rest of and the things, game. This is the end of it. I'm, I'm pro- I promise you, you. like right around here, or there might be, there mm. might be one area later that has a box or two, but soon after they don't do this, the whole game, that would oh, be ridiculous. Geez. But soon after this. They will upgrade, and then but you then they'll actually upgrade again. <sighs> so, like, don't even get them as lock when you come back. You got to wait till after that, oh and then gosh. you'll get the best items out okay, of those. Well, things. maybe I missed a couple. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not playing this game again. The chat is saying that I have to start over. I won't start over, but that is very disappointing. Okay, luckily so, this game isn't the hardest game <laughs> no ever, and so I can I can deal. Also, 
for the most part, they're not like critically important items. No, like, they tend not to. You be. might miss the worst thing you might miss is a ribbon or something like that, right? It's not like you're going to miss an ultra powerful weapon or like something like that. Um, they do become better items, but for the most yeah. part, they're items that you could buy somewhere else. Anyways. Or you, yeah, yeah. So it's not that bad to miss them, but just know that I know audience <laughs> that those things become better later. <laughs> Well, now, anyway, now I know. Maybe I'll play it again in twenty years, and then I'll do that <laughs> if I remember. I'll definitely remember. Um, okay, jeez. So let's move up here to uh, Mount Colts and the Vargas. Yeah. So yeah, you, like you were saying, there's the little cottage kind of north of town at the base of the mountains. Yeah, where I guess obviously Master Duncan lived and trained his students. Um, and you go in there and you look at things around the room and Edgar keeps saying, these were his favorite. Oh, but this was his favorite. This yeah, was his favorite. Yeah, yeah. And, and he realizes, wait, does Sabin live here? So he hasn't seen Sabin in many years, I would assume, while he, Sabin came here to become a monk and to train in the martial arts with yeah. this guy um, after he left Figaro. So he's seeing all these things and he's like, oh, he must be here somewhere. And they talk to a guy outside who says, um, Master Duncan went up to the mountains and he was killed he was killed and yeah. uh his son vargas might be up there as well and something happened and so we go to investigate that um and uh there's not much to speak of in terms of going up the mountain no. you see a shadowy cool. figure yeah kind of hopping vargas up. sort of leading you up yeah you eventually meet up with him and um you fight him for a minute you know he's like oh did sabin send you right yeah and it's like wait you know sabin that's my brother. <laughs> mm. And uh, anyways, he ends up fighting you. Um, you, you, you. You get him down about 700 or 800 HP, and then he just doesn't move, or he kind of blasts everybody back. Yeah, he blows everyone back. Right? Yeah, and then Sabin enters the scene to have a final showdown with his fellow student, Vargas, who assumed his father had spurned him and was going to give his yes. birthright. Or what's the word he uses? Uh, he, he says... Um, he snubbed me, his only son, and chose you as his successor. Yeah. And uh, Sabin's response to this was, no, he didn't choose me. He chose you. You were the one he chose. <laughs> and how could you do that? And he's like, no, lies. Like, he's denying it. That's not possible. Again, yeah. there's a lot that you can derive from this very concise, quick, simple dialogue, right? Mm -hmm. um, it depends on how it's read in your head. Like, I like that they, that they have Sabin sort of, his head sort of bows down and he's sad. Like, no, he chose you as his successor. Like, mm. how tragic a thing that is, even for Vargas. Like, I killed my dad because I thought he snubbed me, but he actually thought. didn't. And his first thing to do then would be deny that because no, I was actually course, just watching this. Of course he would. He would have to. I was just watching a video from this great channel I used to follow, J JCS, uh, JCS Criminal Psychology. Oh, cool. Um, it actually started a whole genre on YouTube of really? uh, basically just interrogation footage of people oh, who sweet. are like I've seen some of that footage. murderers and and yeah. how they tried to like like psychopaths yeah and and yeah, the the read technique that in, uh, uh. that the police use to sort of get confessions out of people which is not always a good thing a lot of false confessions uh, I'm oh, aware of, of this yeah, yeah. just letting you know it's a fascinating <laughs> thing to watch yeah and I was just watching one where this guy um, had beat up his girlfriend former girlfriend did not realize he had killed her though. Mm. And so when they pull him in to investigate him, they assume he knows this. 
and they're like like leading him on with questioning about like what he did and he's like what are you talking about and then they they finally reveal to him that she was dead and he just for for 30 minutes he's just sitting there not that's not possible he just cannot accept the denial is kind of the first place you go with a trauma like that right and that's kind of it reminded me of this scene right where again in this very ab abstract way or or very simple way it's kind of the same sort of scene i can read the emotion in it it his first thing to be is like don't stop lying to me i did not kill my father because mm-hmm. he did snub me, yeah. he had to have done yeah. that. You know, like that—that that would be the first reaction. And so he just gets angry, and so they end up having to fight. Sabin uses the the technique, the uh-huh. pummel technique, the that, blitz that Vargas' father taught he him. Goes, he taught you that. It's yeah. the the um, <laughs> oh shoot the five. What is the kill in Kill Bill? The five um, method heart exploding heart technique or whatever yeah yep. anyway, it's the oh he taught that to you oh my gosh yep right so, so that's you, a big deal you're playing on some uh, martial arts uh film tropes there with yeah. that maybe a little bit yeah um but yeah so he uses it it kills him and he's like oh it's like if only you hadn't been so proud kind of a thing you know the regret you know, this guy was probably his friend at least for you know some at some point um funny story about this Hiro Nobusakaguchi, I want to say it was 2020 or maybe 2019, sometime fairly recently, was doing a live stream with yeah, some yeah. other people playing Final Fantasy His VI. His live streams are fun, by the way. <laughs> you guys should watch They're them. usually drinking a lot. Yeah, and, drink a lot of beer, a lot of, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, having a good time. You yeah. get some interesting tidbits about some of the development history by listening to these two. Hmm. But he got to this point and he couldn't figure out how to do the Blitz. And he actually got a game over. <laughs> That's great. He failed the fetching blitz. He couldn't figure it out. <laughs> His own game. <laughs> And everybody, everyone's, I don't know why. That's so funny. <laughs> everybody's like making fun of him. It's like, <laughs> he can't even beat his own game. Like, dude. like the simplest freaking thing. <laughs> so this was, what was this? 22, 22 years after he. Yeah. Played, after right? the, after the game came out. Oh but, my gosh. That is yeah. So I mean, funny. it is kind of an interesting Ooh, mechanic because it, I think oh even when I return to the game, I, I tend to like, wait a minute, how does this work again? Yeah. Because. You, you, you click on in the, in the menu, you go down to Blitz, and you click on it, and it puts an arrow onto Sabin's face, like pointing at him, like, okay, now's the time to do it. Right. My tendency, and I think probably a lot of people's tendency, or what feels intuitively right, okay, click on Sabin, now I do the input. But that's oh, not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to click on Blitz, the arrow goes onto him, put the Blitz input in, then press A to confirm the Blitz input, then he does it. Hmm. And it doesn't tell you this until way far into the fight because he does like a death spell on you of 60 seconds and it's mm. counting oh, down. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it starts counting down. And so it's counting down and you're going like, well, what do I do? What do I do? What do I? I think that was yeah. purposeful. But at some point later in the fight, if you're not able to figure it out, Sabin will say, I need to use the blitz technique like Master taught me, yeah. right? And then it'll come on screen and say, select blitz, press these buttons, then press A to confirm it. Right. But it's still vague enough to not yeah. be like specifically clear. You have to not click on Sabin, then do it. 
you have to click so that the arrow goes onto him, then do it, then click on Zeb, and, and then he'll perform it correctly. So, um, but the Blitzes are really awesome. And, and this oh, is yeah. a, probably Super a good cool. time to bring up that I really like how they differentiate the characters in this game. It's not that they kind of got, they do kind of have a class, each one. Kind of. You can technically give anyone any magic or any abilities, yes. but like they're, they're certainly geared towards specific ones at, at yes. the beginning, from the beginning. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so like, like, it's loose. Yeah. So Sabin, I, I, I'm not Sabin, Edgar, like he has his tools, right? Because he's um, a machinist. He's like yeah. an inventor. He's, he tinkers with technology. Yeah. So he's got his like auto crossbow and his noise blaster and his uh, bio blaster, which we talked about a little bit last time. Um, but they clearly kind of took from Street Fighter a little bit with Sabin here and, and the, the, the fighting genre left, yeah. where you have combos you have to yeah, put in. Yeah. And like his Aura Bolt is the same exact combo input for Hadouken oh, in really? Street Fighter. So you, you go down and you roll the, roll the controller up to, yeah. the, to the right or left, depending on which way you're facing. And, uh, and then that was the Hadouken for Ryu and Ken. Um, so same input. So the, the, they kind of mixed in this uh, fighter sort of mechanic, uh, like a fighting game mechanic into his, into his blitzes, which is really cool. Um, nice. So I like that. I like, uh, you know, obviously, Locke has the steel command and um, uh, Shadow, when you get him in a bit, has the throw command so he can throw like... Uh, so, you know, they... they mm. I, I like how they differentiated each character and kind of gave them their own unique thing yeah. and made them good at it. It's like, it's, it's not really useful to use Edgar to attack. You Use auto crossbow because you're hitting all the enemies. Mm. It's like his specific unique abilities are what you should be using. Same with Sabbath and most characters. So I kind of like, especially for the early game, before you can totally break it wide open and just like give everybody every magic spell and yeah, yeah. <laughs> boost their stats and turn them into whatever you want. Like they kind of have individual roles that make them exciting or cool to use. And, uh, you know, get the runic with Celeste later, you know, you absorb the magical attacks of the enemies oh, yeah. into the sword. So it's cool. I, I like that they did that. Um, and then, you know, well, Edgar and Sabin reunite. The way it, the way the fight looks is, is fascinating, you know, and this plays on the, the idea of the abstraction. The abstractions kind of end when you get into the battle area. Yeah. That's when it's like, okay, this is what the monster actually looks like. This is what the terrain actually looks right. like, right? They give you, they get you into more of a realistic framework with some semi close up, you know, stuff. However, it's really awkward when your characters are still pixel art people mm. in the same thing. So uh, Vargas is like this huge, gigantic buff god yeah. who's like 20 <laughs> feet tall. And then Sabin is just like this, Tiny. like he's still his little Chibi pixel guy. dude. So they didn't create those awesome, you know, beefed up sprites for the main characters. Right. This would be kind of like you explained earlier in Final Fantasy VII, where in the battle... Um, in the battle screen, they decided to use a, a higher yeah, poly characters, characters. Whereas yeah. in a game like this, they kept the normal pixel art characters, yeah. uh, but then they had these higher uh, resolution enemies, right? right? But it's hilarious when Vargas <laughs> is, it, for whatever reason, Saban stayed his pixel form, but then Vargas got to become a genie, you know? Yeah. It's very funny. Good stuff. So um, <laughs> here's another area where the original translation yeah, is a bears. little weird the bear the bear line right that's not in the japanese <laughs> yeah so well 
it'll be interesting to hear what's in the Japanese here in a second. But okay, even in the up. English, um, he changed one of Tara's lines in a way to which it didn't make any sense that Sabin refers to himself as a bear later on. So what, what happens is they talk about what they're going to do, and Edgar says, you know, uh, a means of striking back has presented itself. There will be more or no more playing lapdog to the Empire. I'm through with that act. Hmm. And then Sabin says in response, do you think, uh, in quotes, a bear like me could be of any help? Now, that is like a total nonsense line in the SNES version because what uh, Tara had said earlier here, because Edgar says, Sabin, and Sabin says, brother, and they're like, oh my gosh, they're twin brothers, they're reunited. And Tara says, his brother... I thought he was some sort of bodybuilder who escaped the gym in the SNES version. <laughs> but in, in yeah. this version, he says, his brother, at first I thought you were another one of Vargas's bears. So that's why he refers to himself as a bear. I'm a seeing few it. Seconds later. I'm seeing it. In now. the scene. Okay, so you're yes, seeing it in Japanese. I am. So the Japanese does talk about a bear earlier on in the se previous one. So he taught he, the word bear instead of bodybuilder. Yes. Saying like, oh, I could have sworn you were like a bear or something. A bear? Oh, a bear. Huh, I like it. But then later on, when he says, think a bear like me could help in your fight, um, the Japanese just said, could my skills help with the cause? Right. But what, so what, um, what Honeywood did is take the previous reference to bear <laughs> and change it to bodybuilder and then move that reference <laughs> forward about 12 sentences <laughs> way that and then expect, expect people to get, <laughs> they should have said bodybuilder again. He should have said, think a bodybuilder like yes, you could help in your fight. Exactly. If you're going to use that, yeah. um, earlier then, or just don't, or just don't do it just at all. Don't do it. Just, just say what the Japanese says, which is, could my skill help in your fight right it, it was it's really weird in the snes this this it was just like what are you talking about bear I, why the, where's almost, this coming from <laughs> i almost think that like you know how honeywood already did a full translation first before he had to throw it away and then redo a new one yeah i almost feel like when he redid his new translation he was going through everything and he was trying to make sure the references were still there and he was like oh but there's a thing about bears i'll put it in here instead i don't know yeah that, that's my best like that uh happened. my best charitable <laughs> reading reading for Honeywood. <laughs> uh, anyway, so the join forces. Sabin comes with you, and it's time to go to the Returner's hideout. Yep. Do you know what's hilarious? What? I think we're going to have to leave off of the Returner's hideout. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not now, but we'll do the Returner's hideout, and then we'll, we'll stop We'll leave there. off at the, at the river? Yeah. yeah. I, I thought we'd go further, and we didn't <sighs> every time. Okay, so you arrive at the Returner's hideout, and uh, they go to see Bannon. Uh, Bannon is the, like the, the leader, leader of the returners. The yeah. leader of the returners. So Bannon, we brought her with us, says Edgar. And Bannon says, so this is the girl, the one whom the Esper, or to whom the Esper responded. Yeah. Tara says, Esper? And Edgar says, it seems the Empire had complete control over her. And Bannon says, carrier pigeons have kept me in form. I also heard that she wiped out 50 Imperial soldiers in mere minutes. And this is where Tara starts stepping yes. backwards and like, I, I, I can't remember. I think she has to sit down or something, but yeah. she's like really not feeling well. Like yeah. what? You can almost sense there's a hint of her actually remembering that she did this, yeah. but like shutting it out. Shutting like, out, I not, it. I do not want to remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do it. It didn't yeah. happen, right? Yeah. So she's no, that's not, or I think in the SNS version, like lies or something lies. like that. Lies, right? yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, similar thing. When you don't want to accept something, you denial, denial, denial. And, and so Edgar's like, for heaven's sake, Bannon, 
the girl doesn't remember anything. Like, yeah. why, why would you say that? <laughs> That's like the first thing you say to this person. <sighs> like, what are you doing? And he says, I feel like this is pretty harsh and even more so in, in this version. Hiding from the truth won't change it. So he's just being very, like, matter of fact. Yes. And really and blunt. He's trying to lead a group of rebels that doesn't have a huge chance at winning. Yeah. And you, you, he can't take a ton of chances. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, oh, here's this soldier girl who's definitely a soldier for the other empire, but we're pretty sure she was brainwashed <laughs> uh, and she has superpowers and stuff. And maybe we could use her to help us. And he's just like, I'm going to verify everything yeah. you're saying before I trust and just like put our whole plan into, into the hands of this girl. Right. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, at the same time, maybe have this conversation where she isn't there. Where she's not in the room. Yeah. <laughs> because even if it's like, oh, I don't trust her, she might turn on us. It's like, yeah. Also, she's right there. So if she's going to turn on you, she might do it right now. So just like play cool and then talk, have this discussion somewhere else right, later. Right. And then when she's not present, and then maybe you could have her listening in still or something yeah, like or that. Sneaking um, and listening. But at a point where she's not present, then say, dude, I don't trust her. This is crazy. Why, why would we risk our whole operation that's already under so much fire? Um, and change the whole plan, like, right now. Yeah. I, I mean, think that maybe would have been better. If she but had wiped out 50 Imperial soldiers in mere minutes, what, what do you think she's going to do to us right. if she's just pretending to be brainwashed or and, if she's... But the idea is that, well, she's right there. If she's going to kill you, she'd do uh, it. Right. Like, she would be doing it right now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't mind at all his, like, his suspicion. Right, yeah. like this is very realistic. This makes perfect sense. And Locke also, for his own personal reasons that we'll discuss later, also being kind of the only one who's like really, really um, empathetic yeah. towards towards her. Mm -hmm. Right, it, it all just makes sense. Like the, I'm, what my point is that the character motivations make sense, even if you want to um, be upset that Bannon's being so blunt. Sure, it, it works, and it works for the story. I think. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm actually really interested to see what you read out of this next line. Cause it's almost like a, a hint at some kind of mythology. Oh, Pandora, of Pandora's box. Yeah. Pandora's box thing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so he says, perhaps you've heard this story before. Once when people were still pure and innocent, almost like garden of Eden. Type ah, of time, yeah. right? Pandora's box is very similar. To that. <laughs> yeah. There was a box they were told never to open, but someone went and opened it anyway, unleashing all the evils of the world, pride, envy, greed, wrath, gluttony. The only thing that remained in the box was a single ray of hope or a single ray of light, which was hope. So this is, so some, so this is the story of Pandora's box straight from Greek mythology. Some stories don't include the hope part. Right. Right. It's some retellings evils, of the story is like, the it, she screwed it up. Uh, but then other, other retellings of the story have included that. Yeah. But there also was hope at the very bottom. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is very much Garden of Eden-like as well. Yeah. Um, and of course, maybe uh, this could just be how ancient times worked. Um, but in both instances, it was it was a woman, who right, who, who was responsible for either whether it's the fruit or the box or whatever it, be, whatever it is. Now we have Terra, and it's like, well, he's just drawing these parallels where maybe he shouldn't. <laughs> but <laughs> but he, when you don't have enough information, you go on the little information you have, which is, well... <laughs> she could cause us some, some severe harm. I, I really liked that retelling. And I thought it was fascinating that in Final Fantasy, they basically tell the story directly from Greek mythology, yeah. uh, referencing this. 
like, I don't know. I, I usually, they make up their own, they give their own little twist, their own flavor to it. Yeah. And in this one, they just literally took it straight from Greece and put it right into their game. Yeah. Very interesting. And then his follow-up to this, your power is a gift, not a curse. No matter what happens, you must remember that you are this world's last ray of light and our final hope. Last hope. The last hope? Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars, the last hope. This is, um, <laughs> I feel like the way that it's put is something of a Star Wars reference. Like you're the, oh, there's definitely, you're the only hope. There's definitely a lot of Star Wars I have references a few other ones game. too. I have a few other ones. There's tons. They're yeah. everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, anyway, you know, this is the first person, even though he was all harsh kind of at first and yeah. scaring her a little bit, yeah. right? Being a bit gruff and, uh, you know. Um, condescending maybe a little bit yeah. about it. He he softens up quite a bit at the end there. And he's he's the first person to reference her power as not being a curse, but a gift, mm. something good. Right. And um, likening her to the, the ray of hope in the box, not yeah. the evils that escaped from well, the box. I, I love that too, because you've got Tara, right? Who killed 50 soldiers. Now she doesn't remember this fully, right? She doesn't know exactly what her past held, holds. But you can look at her and say, your power is horrific yep. and it can destroy the world, but it could also save the world, yep. right? And it all depends on how it's used and mm. that's entirely up to you. And so given that her power has killed 50 soldiers like all in one go and they were like Magitek soldiers, yeah, right? So it was right. like, it was a big deal that she was able to do that. Um, he, that's, that's all the bad coming out of Pandora's box. Right. Uh, but then he's saying, hey, just reach all the way down and grab the good, right? Now, he's got to be very trusting of her mm-hmm. in order to do that. But it sounds like, and especially as, as the Gastonian Empire closes in on their little hideout here, um, They're he, kind doesn't, of desperate. he doesn't have a ton of <laughs> options, yeah. right? And I get the suspicion, but at the same time, if there is hope to be had, grab and hold on to it because um, their hope is fading fast for the returners. Right. Um, so Bannon then leaves, he's grown weary with, weary with the hour, allow me to rest for a while. You kind of, um, so you, you talk to the characters, uh, I think Tara goes to, to rest for a bit and she wakes up and he's there mm. and he says, the empire stole something important from me and I've hated it ever since. If no one stands up to the empire, more people will be left like me. That's why I joined the returners. And she says, but there's no one important in my life. I have no family and no friends. And I, I, I like mm. his response to that. That's not true. Like, how do you even know that? First of all, you don't right. remember yeah. anything. Yeah. And, and he says, besides, I'm sure there are people out there who feel you're important to them, but you mm. just don't remember them. Right. Like sure. you, you feel alone, but like that's not necessarily true. That's not the case. Um, those people are counting on you too. Um, so I, I really liked that. He sort of is acting as this character for her that's like like i said earlier he when she's like kind of at her moments of being like i don't know what to do or being really conflicted he's kind of there and can say the right thing unlike say edgar or somebody else yeah yeah (laughs) um so uh you can go talk to sabin and edgar this is a little different this is another translation issue i feel like Hmm. um in this version what he says what sabin says is, i don't know what to tell you but I do know that I trust my brother completely. He always thought of my needs before his own ever mm-hmm. since we were little. I think you should trust him too, but don't tell him I, t- I said that he'll turn red like a tomato. <laughs> Whereas in the yeah. other version, he says, don't you dare tell him I said that almost in like a, I don't want my brother to think I like him too much kind of right. Yeah, it totally changed the context of it. Mm. Like, don't tell him I said that because uh, I can't be, I can't let my brother know I love him. 
But here gotcha. it's like gotcha. he's almost thinking more of his embarrassment and he's like he always cared for me. It softens it a lot. Well, and, it shows it shows that from his perspective, he's like he has always really cared for me and also I care for yes. him. Um instead of Oh, and and don't tell him because I'm I'm the the angsty little brother. Yeah, it's like <laughs> no, I also don't want him to be embarrassed. Or yeah, whatever. So it, it's like a reciprocal mutual right. relationship. Right, totally changes yeah, how good. that how that reads. That's, so it, that's I, I like it way better in this version. I miss that. And then if you talk to Edgar, he uh, he says it's not easy asking so much of you, and if we force our ideas on you, we're no different from the Empire. So we want you to decide for yourself. And this is where you can then go talk to Banny. He's kind of outside the front of the hideout. And um, you can tell him no or yes. And um, you have to say no three times to really say no. So uh, he, he basically says, have you made your decision? Will you become our last ray of hope? And if you say no, he'll say, I see. But then I you, did that. I did that, yeah. Yeah, and then you have to go talk to him again, and he'll ask it again. Yeah. Will you join us? And then if you say no, I thought as much. And then the third time, you have to go out there. So there's no convincing you. And she, she, she says, hope, how could anyone put their hope in me for now, saying no? In the Japanese, she says, hope, I can't be something like that. Yeah, is right. what she said. Right. And if, if, if that's the case, it will skip the scene where they have their little strategy meeting and it goes straight to the soldier returning their wounded and saying, the oh, Empire's almost on us, and we got to get out of here, like, right now. Hmm. And everyone sort of, like, you know, makes plans to leave. But if you say yes at any point here, then they'll have a whole scene where they sit down and discuss what their next move is. Right. Which I like because it sets up your your next goal or motivation as the player. Like, um, where are you going next? Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> we got to go back to Narsh and see if we can yeah. get Terra to talk to this Esper, Esper. Yeah. and see if we can figure out how to make Magitek weapons of our own mm. or not, or see if there's anything we can glean from this. Right. So you'll miss that whole scene if you just say no, no, no. However, I do like saying no. It feels more natural because she just doesn't know. At least say no once. <laughs> yeah. She <laughs> yeah. just doesn't know if she should do that or not. Right. It makes like- It's a lot of pressure. More emotional, logical sense to me that she would refuse that call Yeah. in, in terms of the story arc and structure and whatnot. But um, there is a lot of good stuff you miss if you don't do it. Also, there's two different items you get. If you say yes to him, he gives you um, an, an accessory and, and a relic called the gauntlet, which allows you to dual, not oh, dual wield, yeah. but wield a single weapon in two hands. With two hands, So yeah. it's more powerful. Mm. But if you say no to him, then uh, you'll get the Genji glove, which allows you to dual wield weapons, so two weapons, yeah. which is a better... Item. <laughs> it's a better relic. <laughs> Dual wielding is sweet. But you can get you can get the Genji glove by saying no one time, going and talking to the NPC who gives you the Genji glove. Then you can go back and say yes and still see this scene. So you can still get the Genji glove if you want and see what happens if you say yes. So it's possible to kind of have your cake and eat it too. Um, so let's go through this. This will be where we leave off for today. Um, Bannon comes in. Uh, we all know that the Gestalian Empire is using its Magitek power to wage war. The question is, where did they get that power? So this is going back to what I was referencing earlier with the three Magitek armors being able to yeah. do all the damage they did. Uh, yeah. I'm actually curious if they haven't yet unleashed Magitek on the world, uh, as, except as for in the point. south where they're taking out all these people. But mm. maybe the people in the north are just now learning that this Magitek even exists. Well, because of something that happens in Doma later on, yeah. With uh, Cyan, 
I would probably agree with that. Yeah. I think, I think the Empire is just now unleashing these Magitek armor, yeah. these machines so infused new. with magic for the first time. And these people in the northern parts of the world are just learning about this. That, and that's what they're hmm. discussing here. So I think that's why Narsh was taken by such surprise there, because they probably had no okay. clue what those machines were or how to hmm. respond to a threat like that. That would make which sense. Which would make sense why just three people could go do all the damage they did to the soldiers in Narsh. Um, uh, I think I just got a message from Dude McGuy. It must be really important. <laughs> There's a dialogue box from Bannon that was cut in the SNES version due to a bug. Um, it kind of changes Bannon's character a bit because it seems like he's considering using Magitek armor again. Oh, okay. We'll get into this because I'm going to be reading the, um, the advanced version because you're right. This is another mistake by Woolsey. Oh, great. So uh, let me just read it, read it through, and then I'll bring up what you're talking about. We all know that the Gastelian Empire is using Magitek power to wage war. The question is, where did they get that power? Edgar says, I had Locke dig around for information. It seems the Empire has been gathering scholars from around the world to study espers. Mm. And Locke says, Narsha's esper was also the reason for the Imperial assault there. Tara says, are you saying there's some kind of connection between espers and Magitek? And Bannon says, espers and Magitek, only one possible link comes to mind. And Edgar says, you don't mean, and they let this linger. Yes, the war of the Magi. <laughs> right? Of course. Uh, so nice. Locke says, my grandmother used to tell me bedtime stories about magical machines. Were those stories really true? And Edgar says, you're telling me they were on the verge of a second war of the Magi? Bannon says, it's only a guess. The war took place a thousand years ago, and every historian has a different theory. But one theory says that energy drained from espers was used to power machines, and that ordinary humans were also infused with that same energy. So this is the first time where this idea of espers being drained of their magic and that yeah. magic being infused into machines and people is a concept that they're introducing here, and that that was part of the reason for the tragedy of the, the war a thousand years ago. So Tara says, so that's what Magitek power is. And Edgar says, if we're going to fight Magitek enemies, we need Magitek weapons of our own. This is what Duke McGuire is bringing up. They mm -hmm. added this line back in here where Bannon says, no, that would bring about another war of the Magi. So mm -hmm. he's against the use of Magitek weapons. Okay. Um, in the original SNES, it, would, it can be read or come across like he's on board with the idea when he's really ah, not at all. Very interesting. So Edgar's like, well, then what do you propose? And Bannon says, I was wondering if we might not be able to have a chat with an Esper. And Edgar's with an Esper. And Bannon says, it's risky, but that Esper reacted to Terra before. If we could get it to react to her again, we just might be able to wake it up. And then Edgar says, do you really think that would work? He says, I can't say for sure, but I believe it's our best shot. Of course, we can't do anything without Terra's help. So right. again... Are you willing to do this? And I love this. They're, they're really emphasizing that they are giving her a choice. Yes. They, they are not forcing her to do anything. If she says no, they're going to do a different plan. Like yep. they, they, um, the ends would not justify the means. Even if they really believe in this plan, they aren't going to force her to do it. Yep. They're, they, they will all perish rather than force her to do something she doesn't want to do. Right. Um, and that's a stark contrast to the Gastalian Empire. Yep. So she says, I'll do it. She agrees. Again, this would only come on the back of having actually agreed to Bannon earlier. So, yeah. um, 
and then at this point, basically, what was that noise? A soldier and then a soldier comes wounded in, comes wounded. in. The, the the empires on our, our tails. They they know where we're they're at. Here, they're coming right now. And they took South Figaro. Yep. And yeah. So uh, Edgar sends Locke back to South Figaro yep. to mess with them. Yeah. Use his his um, uh, special skills of infiltration to yes. slow them down. One of the best parts <laughs> of the game. I can't wait to talk about it next week. Yeah, I love next it. Next week. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and so this is where the scenario splits into three. So we have Bannon. Uh, Tara, Edgar, and Sabin, who kind of take off on a raft down the river while yeah. Locke goes to try to slow down the Empire in yeah. South Figaro. I call this the breaking of the fellowship. The breaking of the fellowship. Yes. <laughs> the fellowship is broken, but not if they hold true to each other. <laughs> so anyways, on the raft, Sabin, this scene is so so absolutely funny. Yep. So you fight this like tentacle monster octopus. Ultros. Thing, right? Ultros. Yes. Dude, I freaking love and Ultros. you kill Ultros. Well, you don't kill him. The question is, is he dead? And it's like, I don't know. I don't think so. And Sabin is just like, I'm going to give him a blitz. You just wait. And everyone's like, dude, don't do this. Like, let's just go. And he's like, no, nah, man. And he jumps into the, into water, the water and he's going to do some underwater blitz. I don't know what he's going to do. Uh, anyways, he gets jacked. <laughs> it doesn't work out. But Bannon is hilarious because yeah. Tara and who was it? Edgar? Yeah. Are like really concerned about him. They're like, oh my gosh, is he going to die? And Bannon's like, he'll be fine. <laughs> he does this all the time. He's fine. He'll come plopping down onto the raft any minute now. Well, and I love how like <laughs> they show like a sprite of Sabin with his eyes closed, like he's unconscious, like floating That's down the right. river. There's like Sabin! <laughs> and Bannon is so <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's he's like, good. He's all good. <laughs> there's a way that this scene could have been just this very tragic thing. <laughs> yeah, but the sure. way they portrayed it, the way they went about it is so absolutely hilarious. Yeah, it is so funny. Really funny. And and then uh, from that point the raft splits and goes left and then Sabin goes right and you don't you're not able to see him again. So the fellowship is broken at this point. Yep. They all leave. Um they're going to try to regroup at some other point, but Sabin is going to go to who knows where. Yep. Edgar, Tara and Bannon are Headed Heading to, to Narsh. Um, Narsh. Yep. And then Locke is going to South Figaro. And then after he finishes his work there, he'll rejoin with them in yeah. Narsh as well. The idea is that they're all going to meet up at Narsh so Terra can, can get into those caves. Yep. Get into the caves, try to talk to the Esper, see what they can learn. So that's kind of the next major goal for our characters. But Sabin's going to take a long route because he's going to get washed really far away. So we will get into those scenarios next time. And I am actually going to right now look up to a new place for us to play to because we did not okay. get to where well, I thought while we were going to get to. While you're doing that. While you're doing that. Maybe just like through the Phantom Train. I don't know. Actually, no, because we should be able to get to the, I think, the three scenarios pretty I quickly. I think we should. Because oh, okay. let's go a little really short. Yeah, let's go a little more. Um, Dude McGuy mentioned, uh, well, wants to make clear that the bug that made it so that Bannon's uh, line was removed is just not Ted Woolsey's fault. So don't, oh. blame, don't blame him. It wasn't his fault that, that uh, Bannon It was seems, a bug, not it was a he bug. didn't remove it. It wasn't removed uh, by him on purpose. It was for some weird reason they weren't able to make it work. That whole line had to be deleted because it messed with some stuff later on. Yeah. For next time, play up through the iconic opera scene. Um, that's where our target is going to be to get through for next time. There's no I, guarantees I we'll we will do I it. I think we can do it. But <laughs> we'll try. So that's where to play up to for next time. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. As always, we appreciate you watching, and we hope you're enjoying this so far. We'll see you next week. <laughs>